0: Hello, and welcome to the Story X Story podcast, where we discuss stories across pop culture, plus give you advice on creating your own. It's episode number 80, we're only 20 away from 100, and today we are going behind the story. I'm your co-host, Nigel.
1: I am Tazi, content creator and co-host.
0: And you know that we talk to creative professionals across industries to unpack the story that is their journey into the creative industry. And today we're going to hear the story behind founder and project director of Sprite Wrench Studios, Glenn Henry. Glenn, welcome to the show. Hi,
2: hi guys. Thanks for having me on.
0: Thanks for joining us. I'm yeah, definitely interested to hear how you set up your studio um, and yeah, all the work that's gone into that. So, I want to let people know that you can subscribe to Story X Story on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, and wherever you get your podcasts from. Also, send us feedback and questions to feedback at myamada.com. Drop them in our Discord or throw them at us on social media. We are at myamada on Twitter, at myamada TV on Instagram, or at Tazzy on both. As we do, we're going to make a quick stop to find out what's been happening in the Mayamada universe. And we are at the last bits of putting things together for *Series Through the Fog. By the time you're listening to this, we should be sending it out to print, ready for uh, release later in October. So we'll be sending out books finally to our Kickstarter backers who have been very patient with this way longer than anticipated. Uh, kickstarter project although every I guess every kickstarter goes on way longer than expected so there we go but the story is done the pages of the of the story um, have been inked finalized all that good stuff so now it's about checking the pages what's that phrase crossing the t's dotting the i's um, all those things before we commit uh, to print so yeah like I say by the time you're listening to this that should all be done but definitely happy to see this out and about, and we'll be taking Sirius to the Thought Bubble Festival, November 13th to 14th, where I will have all our manga, including the new one, Sirius, and we'll also be doing a workshop on one of the days, I can't remember which one, but one of the days of the festival, or either I can't remember or they haven't told me, one of those. Also, we've been doing a bunch of Olympics and Paralympics manga over the summer, and we are still planning on putting that together into one downloadable free ebook and putting it out to our Discord and the main list. So make sure you are in both, uh, that you're getting our newsletters, that you are in our Discord and you'll be able to get free manga uh, all themed to the Olympics. So it's a mix of things coming there. Over for on the video game side, you'll be able to check out our Overcooked Games Night VOD. Because by the time you listen to this, we will already have done that. So uh, make sure you catch us live. We usually play games on the last Thursday of the month. Uh, This month, we're playing Overcooked. And we haven't worked out next month's game. But definitely, again, mailing list, Discord. uh, And you'll be aware of what we'll be playing for the next. You can also check out our YouTube channel and... That will be where you can see the highlights of past games like, like Roblox and Fortnite and soon to come Rocket League. And yeah, we're still going to put the Pokemon Unite highlights on there.
1: Oh, <laughs> oh. do we have to? <laughs> <laughs> um
0: yeah, I think the people, I think the people should see just <laughs> see everything that went down. Full transparency, even when we were frustrated by a video game. So stay tuned for that as well. And of course, we have Gamepad Online, Saturday, 16th of October, live on Twitch and hosted by Tazzy. We are bringing you our Friendly Fire competition where teams from different communities come together to play in a good-spirited esports competition, which is not an oxymoron. It is something that can happen. So we're bringing that together. We're going to be playing, or they're going to be playing, Overcooked, Rocket League and Knockout City. We will also have a series of interviews and panel talking to people who have just broken into the video games industry. So I will be having two interviews uh, with people from the Lightbulb Crew uh, Indie Studio as well as Jagex and a panel bringing together people from, again, different industries, so different companies uh, to talk about breaking into games and the sort of fact versus the fiction Uh, of it so we will have that available at the event and then available after the event on VOD and on YouTube but definitely make sure you join us live for all the other things that are happening. Tickets are free so that is everything that's happening with My Matter. Let's go behind the story with today's guest.
1: So today we are talking to Glenn from uh, sprite french studios and we're going to ask a lot of questions as usual uh, to get a bit uh, to know uh, to learn a bit more about um glenn's journey and you know how they got where they are now so we'll start from the beginning it's always a great place to start so we want to know how did you get started and where are you from and what got you into video games
2: Right. so first off, I'm from Kingston, Jamaica. That's an island in the Caribbean, not to be confused with the places in the States or anywhere in the UK. Jamaica, the original, that's where I'm from. And really, how I got started was just in my final year of university. The indie game movie came out, and I remember watching that and just thinking to myself, like, hey, I don't need to go abroad to so learn how to make video games. I can just start. And that was kind of the beginnings of Scratch. That, over the years, i just continued fooling around, making games for, like, game jams and releasing projects that probably took way too long to release. And eventually, I kind of formalized that into Sprite Ridge Studios. In 2019, it's currently a sole proprietorship, and the idea is to kind of grow that into a full-functional studio with staff and everything. But that's the beginnings. That's where I started. I use Royal Wii a lot, you know, but it's really me. And as well as any other creative collaborators um, that I
1: can kind of rope into
0: on my projects. I'm very familiar with the Royal We, so I totally get that. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah. Also, the Royal We. I don't, I'm, I'm a, a brand that is based on my person and I still use the Royal We. Why is that? I don't know.
2: <laughs> I think we have an idea that people take us more seriously when we're a We rather than an I. So like, we kind of default.
0: You know what's funny? Just off that is—it's it's funny where, like, if you are a smaller brand, use the we to, like you say, to give that impression, and then we have bigger brands trying to be more personal and <laughs> going that way. Has realised that
1: everyone's just trying to be in the medium, you know? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And sort of like in terms of knowledge, what did you study at university? And how has it helped you with what you do today?
2: So I'm actually a comp science major. So I did the computer science track. And, you know, I've always loved programming. But I've hated people looking too deeply at my code. So I'm I'm not as concerned about making clean code or etc. I just want things that work. And it just so happens that my like, creative projects in the game that kind of skewed towards that. So I feel like it's a decent fit. I've also had like a lifelong um, love for art, and that that has kind of, games kind of developed into a medium that kind of combines both, so love of technical problem solving, which is programming, and a love of art, and they've come together to kind of give me this medium in which I can draw a character and then make the character move. I think that is the core seed of why I love video games as much as I do.
1: I'm curious to hear what the video game education is like in Jamaica.
2: It's nascent, it's there, but it's not necessarily uh, developed into, like, an industry. The game industry in Jamaica and probably in the wider area, I can't speak with 100% specifics, but it's pretty much in, still in the beginning stages. So we have a lot of um, practitioners and people who are self trying to learn the ins and outs of, you know, what it is to make a video game and what that means to be, you know, a business. Even as a hobby, all of that is like everyone is kind of figuring it out at the same time. There have been a couple push uh, initiatives by the government put in these tracks in the schools to give the base skills. So like animation, the animation industry has kind of been growing the past oh, five-ish years, and they've tacked on game design to that. So at our high school level, they've started to incorporate that into our uh, operators app course into our final exams and then I think what we call CAPE, which is, I'm not sure what the UK equivalent to that is, but it's our after high school, before university exams. And they've incorporated a course for that as well for game design and animation. So it's still early days, but there's interest and everyone's kind of figuring things out.
1: And how do you continue to develop your skills? For me, it's
2: really just continue working on projects trying to stay plugged into industry news globally. So like joining a billion discords and reading all the Reddit posts and, you know, following people on Twitter. And that's how I find and retain and build on my knowledge. Another thing that kind of grew out of this kind of grassroots stuff is the Jamaica Game Developer Society, the JGDS, which does not roll off the tongue. It feels like a punch in the throat, but um, (laughs) it's... Started as like this group of um like five friends and five friends and then it kinda of blossomed into this discourse server of like two hundred plus people of just who are interested in business and interactive, inter interactive media, specifically in Jamaica as well as the wider Caribbean I want to learn more about it and it's kind of been this community and I've been calling myself the loudest member, because um, we don't have an official leadership structure or anything to that effect. But I'm being an advocate for that community and trying to get people who are interested in games, if you're in Jamaica, if you're in the Caribbean, if you're part of the diaspora, you know, just pop in, join, um, contribute. And I feel like that—that that is the beginning for something that can be formalized. Yeah. Mm,
1: sounds pretty cool. And then, like in terms of family, what's their sort of reception to making games? Like, are there challenges that are similar to here in the UK?
2: Well, for my my family has been like super supportive. They see a thing that you know ignites a passion in me, and they just want to give me all the support. They don't necessarily get it or understand all the you know workings of it, but they're like, yeah, go ahead and do what you want to do. So I've been grateful in that that respect. But I think. One of the hurdles that, like, as a community, as an industry, that we kind of need to get over is like, just teaching people what it means to be a game developer, to be a game designer, because at least with the older crowd, and I say older crowd knowing that I'm in my 30s at this point, which means I'm actually beginning to be the older crowd. Ooh,
0: that hurts. Um, yeah, it hurts me too. It doesn't. It doesn't get any easier. Yeah <laughs> yeah the Take though. a moment if you need a moment you could
2: give <laughs> me a second observing that digesting that okay good. Yeah.
0: Uh, um,
2: the the parents they they're very much set in what they believe to be traditional careers and don't understand the impact that creative media as a whole is what it can be that it is a industry it has jobs in it it's multifaceted can build an actual career by making video games, by making comics, by making movies. Like, there's this, and I'm not 100% sure if it's um, a black diaspora thing, or if it's just, or if it's just specific to the Caribbean, but there's this idea that, you know, those aren't real jobs, those aren't real things. A real job is being a banker, a real job is being a doctor, a real job is being a lawyer. Hmm. So, there is this multi, there's this battle on multiple. Uh, to
1: educate people yeah that universal you know creativity is not a real job yeah everyone mm-hmm. absorbs entertainment around the world constantly
0: <laughs> exactly. exactly that's such a weird contrast like and it's it's funny to hear like then talk about you know we're in uk join jamaica and it's the same thing <laughs> that's so that's so mad
2: mm-hmm. so i wasn't sure if it was like uh the personal color thing or something like that like there's this and I and, and I get it I get it meaning that parents want their kids they want better for their kids and there's an aspirational goal so that's why you have this push to be go for what you consider stable and secure and financially successful but at the same time and at least with my family I appreciate support to kind of take that risk to express yourself. Um, they may not necessarily get it, meaning why you don't want to expose yourself to that way, that way. But, you know, the support is nice. The backing of family is nice. And I feel that resonates with a lot of people.
1: Definitely. So let's go into a bit about the making of games. So obviously you're, in, you're Jamaican and you're making games in Jamaica, why did you decide to set up in your home country rather than looking to move somewhere else?
2: I'm not going to lie. A part of that was fear. A part of that really was fear. Because there is a risk in operating the entire life, moving to a new country, and then trying to establish, establish itself professionally. And like I mentioned earlier, that documentary it means a lot to me. It, doesn't, you know, it probably hasn't aged that, that well. But it meant a lot to me because it showcased that small teams can do big things. Mm. Um, it showcased that you know you don't necessarily need to be not limited by your location. There was nothing special about the the team behind Super Meat Boy and Brave, meaning they didn't benefit strictly from where they lived, other than being able to attend conferences at a cheaper rate. So it got me thinking, like, why not try and do something like that at home? What are the benefits? You Not know, to doing it at home, throwing the scene here, because I knew that my friends were interested in making it. And I thought that, you know, there has to be a wider community of people who want to make and play games made by Jamaicans. So that kind of has been my accidental business thesis for the past, uh, I think it's about eight years now, that there is a non a non-negligible contingent of people who want to hear Jamaican stories, who want to play experiences made by Caribbean people who, you know, are hungry for that type of content. So that's what I've been trying to work into my own personal projects. And it's funny, because at the same time, I'm also trying to define and grapple and accept what it means to be Jamaican in that context. Because it's very easy to kind of get yourself lost in other people's um creative culture, is a way of saying it? Mm-hmm. I myself, I'm like... I love anime. I love manga. I grew up on it. That's what interested me, and that influ- influenced a lot of my creative output. But at the same time, I want to retain a core nugget of being Jamaican. Just trying to navigate that has always been been interesting. I'm not sure if I'm doing it well, but I feel like that's something I'm going to be dealing with and grappling with and playing around with for like the rest of my life, my creative portfolio. I feel like I was rambling a little bit there. <laughs> Sorry.
1: No, that was g- great stuff. Yeah, the important thing is that you're doing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think anyone's doing anything well. We're just all trying to figure stuff out anyway. <laughs> the important thing is that you're doing it. And a bit more, um, do you want to tell us a bit more about the aim that you have for the games that you've been making and and sort of why they are how they are?
2: Somebody had recently asked me, like, what's the core thing for a sprite-rich game? And I honestly couldn't give you an answer. Probably down to a production process versus any particular thing. I'm trying to make games in such a way that they are sustainable for my own creative processes. So, like, I don't want to make a game where I get tired of making that content. Mm. I'd love to make a game that, you know, leans into my creative inclinations already. Like, my most recent project right now, which is Quest on Pocket, which is a rhythm monster hunting game for, right now it's on Android, the idea is to release it on iOS once they've worked out all the kinks. I love making monster designs, I like making weapon designs, I love character designs. I wanted to make a game where I could just continuously make that type of content and just plot it in. So that kind of became this mobile game as a service type project. So that's what that is. And my previous project was a visual novel called Grim and Sonic. Where I wanted to explore some of the grief that I was getting from my day job, <laughs> and again, <laughs> and again, um, you know, just explore character design and touch on different, different um stories and ideas for different characters. So yeah, if I really had to make find like a thread, a creative thread, it's a process, a way of taking my own motivations and experiences and turning it into some form kind of interactive media.
1: And so Grim and Tonic is quite a narrative-driven game. Is that sort of a focus for you or is that just for that specific project?
2: Narrative games as a whole are my focus. It's what I cannot default back to. I mentioned as well back that like art and video games, art and text has always been my push. And I feel like visual novels and narrative games work in my love of comics and manga into the medium as well. So, mention process. I'm just trying to put all of what I love and all that what makes me into how I make games. I feel like narrative art and tech is the way that I can achieve that the best.
1: I love that. I absolutely love that. Just like here, here are my passions, and I wanna I wanna put them in something. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, it's really cool. And what does the term micro studio mean compared to indie? Ah,
2: That's a heavy question. The idea behind having, like, styling myself as a micro studio is that I don't want to focus on size. I mentioned wanting to kind of scale up and grow, but the hope and the drive for Sprite Ranch is always to be a lifestyle business, right? So what that means is I'm not interested in... Necessarily becoming like the next Riot game or big brand studio that's gonna have this multi-million dollar. Mix. I just want to continue to be able to make the projects that I enjoy. I don't want to necessarily. I don't have any aspirations to grow beyond facilitating that. So that's the idea with micro Riot and that's why I use terms like solo ish because I recognize that I'm not alone in making my games. Um, mm. I don't want to necessarily attach myself with the whole author brand right but at the same time I know that for my own process my own drive I, I, I like having control over the art I like having control over the tech side I like having control over the narrative like that's important to me so and so that that's the way I kind of express that in business I guess
0: do you think you can have both like do the thing that you like let's say as you do grow to get to a point where you mentioned right Games let's just go with that in in that direction Mm -hmm. but then still do what you want to do in terms of the keeping your passion and being in control of like the technical the art side or do you think there's a point where it's like that just can't happen for people and it becomes a whole different thing
2: I feel like there's like this tipping point where it becomes exceedingly hard Mm. I feel that creative I feel like teams that just get too large kind of I don't want to say that they lose their creative voice because it's not that they lose their creative voice. It changes. It becomes. It becomes harder to pivot. It becomes harder to change and and adjust. If I had to say like that's one of the main benefits for indies is that there's this very clear creative direction and they're able to respond very quickly to changes. If it's in no audience, if it's in investors, if it's in just life they can just pivot you can just take the idea and change it into something else really quickly whereas i feel with teams and triple a studios so once you pass a certain size like that becomes too much tied up in red tape um some costs start creeping in and it's just too hard to change so that's what i'm trying to avoid You're really a play
1: mm. happy with that answer nigel
0: oh yeah 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 that's right yes <laughs> No, it's interesting to yeah hear that perspective on uh, the balance between the two, mm-hmm. and where people like because some people might like that yeah give me a massive team and and doing all that, and then some people might prefer the let me keep a, a small team and keep control. Like I hear what you're saying about the the voice and then the process, like how that changes when you're a bigger team. So it makes sense.
1: Talking about voices, uh, you've spoken about cultural representation being important to you and finding that balance uh, between what you've grown up on, but also, you know, uh, representing your roots. Roots. Um, how do you incorporate that, uh, that authentic experience in a video game, and where do you see the lines between representation and appropriation?
2: So, me, for appropriation, it really just comes down to a matter of authenticity. Um, you should always try to do right by the culture you're trying to represent. But so if you're not a part of it, if you're not actively steeped in it, hire or talk to people who are. Like I'm not limit I'm not saying limit the stories that you can tell, but do the work to ensure that it's told authentically. So like if you're telling a story about Native Americans, maybe, you know, hire a Native American consultant. Don't let your soul source of inspiration, be the media that you've consumed or, or what you've researched like, for yourself that like, talk to people. That's the only way that you can incorporate it. For my own work, I've kind of just done it subtly. Basically, like, all my characters are Black almost 90% of the time. And that's just a creative decision I can make because I want to. And I feel like that shouldn't be a decision that shouldn't be subversive in itself right? as a Black creator. Another thing I try to do is just sneak in little West Indian things. Like, in Grim and Tonic, one of the characters is half elf, half West Indian. Why not? Right? Uh, and then in Grim and Tonic, sorry, in Press uh, Pocket, one of the monsters is based off of an extinct moth that was indigenous to Jamaica. So yeah, just little things like that that I try to work in don't necessarily need to be, you know, in-your-face, super obvious to score any form of points. But I feel like it's important to work that, thing, work where you come from into your creative output in some way.
1: I I love that, you know, you based one of the monsters on a on a moth. Like <laughs> it's just so, like you said, it's so subtle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really helps to represent where you're from. <laughs> yeah. So, tell us about the um, process of registering a business. How much did you know at the time? And was there any points that you look back on and feel like, oh my God, I really messed that up. I'd do it differently if I'd done it again.
2: Oh, wow, Um, okay, so after my comp science degree, I actually went ahead and picked up a MBA. So I do have business education somewhere in my track in terms of skills and experience. Um, That was mostly to help out my family at a point in time because i worked a long period of time working in the family business um so i had the general idea of you know building out a business plan how you supposed to structure that a SWOT analysis
0: that's why i missed <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: <So>. <laughs> all that body this stuff but i still operated pretty much uh in the fringe um as just as a side thing for a long period of time so is a side thing in many ways but in terms of formalizing it, uh, in Jamaica, we can you can register as a sole um, proprietorship and stuff online. It's relatively cheap. You out also form pay the fee. You go in your there. So that was relatively painless. Uh, the only thing I would probably do differently is probably register as a proper LLC. For me, the reasons for not registering as a LLC at the time were, again, tied to the idea that I want to be... I don't see the business going past a lifestyle business side. I don't need to scale everything to a point where it can pay anything. So that was the thinking. But I understand now that, you know, as LLC, that there are certain protections that uh, you can benefit from uh, that you don't benefit from as a sole proprietor. Granted, I haven't touched on any of those as yet. But just in terms of taking external funding and investment, from VCs or publishers and stuff like that. Being an LLC, LLC is a little bit easier than being a sole proprietor or an individual. And that is something I know I have to tackle at some point eventually.
1: I like Nigel said the business side was what he missed out on. And I feel like a lot of people going into creative roles, that's where they sort of fall short and it's easy to. To be like, I just want to do the creative side. And then you realize there's taxes and there's <laughs> marketing and there's, <laughs> there's legal stuff, uh, there's contracts, there's uh, figuring out how you actually get paid. Uh.
0: <laughs> yeah, boy. <laughs> you just miss out. You just go, hey, yeah, I'm just going to do this cool thing. And it's just like, forget that. Yeah. That cool thing is actually like, I don't know, 20% of the, the entirety of like operating a, a business.
2: The fun part about doing it internationally is double taxation. Oh man! Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, if you're not savvy, you don't. You you can easily like lose a lot of money. Like I remember, I'm not sure. If, yeah, let's not go into details. But I remember like <laughs> yeah. for a storefront, I had filled out the wrong form for multiple years, and there was a treaty that was in place for for Jamaica and and the United states that would have. Entitled me to get like 20% more money or something like that. The little thing like that is very easy. So, you know, if, if you don't have the proper guidance, if you don't have yeah. the expertise, you, you can fall into some pitfalls like that.
1: And it can be super intimidating as well. Like Oof. having to do like tax in the country you're based and then mm-hmm. normally America because most... A lot of like online things are American based. <laughs> you then have to deal with knowing which forms to fill out for whatever, like, whatever the relationship between like your country and America is. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> um, so tell us about the uh, Jamaican Game Developer Society. She's touched on it already, but what involvement? that you have you said you're quite loud or vocal with that and what's the mm-hmm. impact you're looking to make?
2: For the JGDS it's it's just collection it's not formally registered or anything like that but we are trying to build up a community that supports one another so like just getting feedback on projects on mock-ups on screens and that type of thing supporting each other in you know passing on information about events or answering questions or things like that and it's not even feel. I know that by having some kind of in the body, it's easier to be taken seriously. And if we're taken seriously, we can better advocate for what we as a community would need. So yeah, that that's the goal there, to just kind of support each other to build out build out the little slice of industry that we're trying to develop. And the things that we've done so far, like we've hosted the Jamaica chapter for the Global Game Jam for the past four years, and they both. We've done that in collaboration with the local university, um, the media branch of the local university called Caramac, as well as uh, an animation studio that's based out here called Listen Me. Yeah, it's, it's slowly growing. Um, like I said, starting pretty small. We're at about 200 odd members now. And we've also started inviting creative professionals from the industry to kind of give micro presentations that we call like the crash course, just so that people learn from other industry professionals what the industry is about. We've done talks about marketing, we've done talks about business development, we've done talks about narrative design and how that can look in free-to-play games, um, AAA titles and things like that. Mm. We're just basically growing our body of knowledge, supporting one another, and just trying to make the game industry in Jamaica an actual thing.
1: Mm. And so we at MyMada also work around young people and video game careers. Uh, What do you think needs to happen to get more young people from underrepresented backgrounds into gaming careers if they want to be?
2: I think it really comes down to like just education. A lot of people don't know that there are opportunities there. Like when you think game development, instantly just think programming. Mm. But there are a bunch of other roles that go into your favorite video games and stuff So like voice acting, sound engineering, design by itself, UX design, quality assurance, all of these different roles that kind of just exist already within the community in various factions because we have software developers. So we have all of that, we have designers. we have all of that. We have this music tradition, so we have the sound technicians in sound jobs, but just the idea that oh this is applicable to games so we can make games here that bit of information seems to have escaped people so i think that's the first thing
1: and, um, yeah so moving on from sort of like making games a bit about some future plans and goals what have you learned from your releases so far and how is that shaping what you're doing going forward?
2: So this is a bit heavy because like dealing with some of the some of the feedback as a creative is hard. Mm-hmm. Like, I have, generally I have a rule where I try not to read steam reviews on a Friday or stuff like that because like some of them can be really scaling for no reason.
0: I, I can <laughs> imagine, yeah. <laughs>
2: um, but if there are things that I've learned it's just like fine-tuning my process and how I talk about my games and when I talk about my projects and what I can do better. So I really like the theme and setting and ideas behind Kermantonic, but fully recognizing the execution from a technical standpoint could have been leagues better. So I'm trying to step that up in my future projects. And even with Questlight Pocket, I recognize that there can be a little bit more consideration for like UX and stuff. I realize a number of this is like technical, but it's just like small nuggets. The one is like technical execution can be better. The other one is UX and onboarding players can be better. And then from my first lesson when I released my very first title, I think it was uh, Mage. It's just like talking about your game more and going to different places and things that you should consider in terms of putting it out there, marketing really and truly. That's what I've learned. So I'm just slowly learning more about how I want to make games and what I need to do to make them actually you know, stand out and be fully realized and successful. Mm. It's just a bunch of small business lessons, really and truthfully. Uh, I'm not sure how business
1: i Was there anything you sort of had to learn during the whole pandemic?
2: Actually, not specifically. Um, the pandemic, pandemic had like a-, a silver lining because it kind of brought the, it made the gaming industry smaller and made it a little bit more accessible, especially, if- especially for the people who would be on the fringes. Like being from Jamaica and being in the Caribbean, travel expenses can be exorbitant to so, like go to a GBC or, um, mm-hmm. or any of those conferences, stuff like that. Having all of them pivot to being online has helped a lot. You are able to join a Pocket Gamer Connect, for example, which is going on this week remotely, and you can t- attend all the talks. You can book meetings that you wouldn't probably have been able to book before. And I feel like that's kind of a good thing. Communities that have popped up, like Game Industry Gathering, which is like this. Well, right now it's monthly, but at one point it was like weekly Zoom sessions with a bunch of other industry people that, Before the pandemic, I don't think would have been a, a consideration of a thing that people would want to do. So just this contracting, this global contraction of networks and this need to make these connections digitally hasn't actually helped, I think, some of the smaller communities, those communities that, you know, wouldn't necessarily have the same presence at those uh, main Latin-focused conferences and events. Yeah, if there's anything I had to learn, it would have just been being able to navigate Discord and learn to talk to strangers on the internet.
1: Yeah, I mean, that is a skill. Quite, it's quite interesting to hear that, you know, as the world kind of closed down and it felt like you're less able to do things, it's kind of the opposite for you with the gaming industry kind of opened up <laughs> exactly. exactly yeah and I think that's a, an important thing to to sort of like remember and recognize for the industry going forward is that talk about reaching reaching different communities and maybe having being able to be accessed online and offline is and having that combination is a is exactly something that should be thought about when trying to reach different communities. And what does success look like for you and for Sprite Ranch Studios?
2: So one thing as an indie that I've kind of had to always redefine success for myself. So initially it would have been like, oh, releasing a game. Okay, I've done that. I've released a game. What was what's the next hurdle? So I'm always like developing these as milestones for myself. So release a game on Steam. And then I've released a game on Steam. And then the next one is like. Okay, release the same uh, game on Steam and get X number of downloads. They've done that. all right. So release a game and get, get it included in a showcase. So it's just been this collection of like baby steps. But mm. I think my ultimate, ultimate goal is to kind of build up some form of sustainable and consistent, consistently sustainable um, development pipeline. In the past, I would have said like you know if I could make my living 100% from my releases, that would have been like the dream. But at this point in time, I'm not even sure if I want to necessarily do that. Not to say that that wouldn't be great, but I think mm. it's much more fulfilling, like I said, if and that, if I could continue to release games or be able to continue releasing games in my own way, in a way that's sustainable. So I still want to continue to tell my stories, and I want to tell them. In a way that feels natural and fulfilling to me, mm. and I want to continue just doing that forever. I mean, I think that's my ultimate, ultimate end goal.
1: That's like really um, refreshing and really nice to hear, because I think a lot of people get sort of like t- tied down with money, which is really easy and understandable. But I think it's a, a much bigger challenge to want to stick to something more close to your heart. A very
2: big part of that is not burning up. It's very easy to just. yourself up trying to make make anything
1: creative. yeah 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 we don't agree more (laughs) each interview we like to ask our guests to give advice for aspiring creatives and professionals we talked about video games today so what advice do you have for our listeners who may want to get started in creating their own games or a micro studio
2: um, core advice, and I think somebody else, a good friend of mine, Graham, would have said something similar. Is just get started. Like, I know, am I might, over the course of just this interview of games made it seem like games is this big, one other thing? But the core thing that got me started as advice. is still true, which is just start. Just make a game, even if it's by game jam, even if it's just for yourself. Just to begin doing creative project first step is probably the hardest and then tweak it from there I feel like that's applicable to pretty much
0: any creative project it's it's simple advice but it it can be the hardest to follow almost
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. god I really want to dive into a book that I'm reading at the moment but uh, but similar thing with that it's about you know just getting started can't really do it without doing it (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm. exactly exactly first step
1: that is some great advice and I think we we'll, we can co-sign that. I definitely, yeah. I definitely co-sign that, yeah. <laughs> uh, reminder to our listeners that you can give your feedback on this interview and let us know what you think. Feedback at mymatter.com.
0: So this is the part where we throw in follow-up questions or just random things that might not fit anywhere else. And the first thing that came to my mind, really, it's not even a question, but I just wanted to highlight something that Glenn mentioned about sort of lessons learned from previous games and and marketing. That I I felt that because <laughs> I felt I had the same thing in terms of our our comics and uh, when like when we started, just thinking that like you just make something good and just everyone would would come to you. <laughs> you just like put it out, and <laughs> that just uh, just I just couldn't be fair with the truth. So because like we had a comic we put it out and we then learned how important marketing is and Mm -hmm. you know sometimes especially when we have sort of creative like you know creative pursuits and some people don't want to you know do the marketing stuff because that's seen as commercial and things but then you also want your your thing to get out there and you you just you just need it so i definitely felt you when you you brought out that lesson
2: there is like we say it's a creative problem, but I don't even think it really is. It's just this idea that if you make a thing and it's good enough, it will you know, sell or it will reach the people that it needs to reach. There's this myth of, I guess, meritocracy in marketing or creation. And, and that couldn't be further from the truth.
0: Yeah, so it's good that you kind of learnt that in you know you have mm-hmm. to like get out and, and put your thing out I'm yeah I'm not the best at it so but it's, so, you know, it's just constantly learning and having to push yourself to like okay you've done it you've done this thing now you have to go and tell everyone <laughs> or everyone that mm-hmm. you know is relevant uh, to it about it so yeah important thing to highlight and another thing that you did touch on about representation in, in games um that area so I wondered if you had I don't know if you've played Deathloop but just Speaking about the game in general, is that something that's on your radar? And what do you think about that being a game where you have the main characters being black, but not necessarily a game about being black, if that makes sense?
2: So about Deathloop on Friday,
0: I've been playing it this weekend. Okay. I love it so much. I've heard a lot of good things.
2: (laughs) So... In terms of, like, from a technical standpoint, and um, storytelling and concept is very engaging and very intriguing. But just in terms of style, I love it. I love the 60s aesthetic. I love the art direction. I love how it's just oozing in style, and I love it. I don't know any other, I don't even know what to talk about in purpose in any meaningful terms other than gushing about how much I love the style, I love the art, I love the characters, I love Juliana. I love Colt. I love uh, those are the two main protagonists. By the way, yeah, and yeah, I, I don't know, man. Just seeing that and seeing that that has a big release means a lot to me. I'm not entirely sure if it's because oh, these are two black characters specifically, but there is this authenticity in how the characters present themselves, how they talk, um, what they look like. Like I could recognize like Juliana as girl I went to school with. Uh, I can recognize Cole as somebody I who I want to be or who I kind of see myself as. It's just interesting. Like you're not seeing the same rehashed really characters. I mean, we we that is a topic that keeps coming up again and again and again, which is asking for diverse character representation. And it's very easy for a, a small contingent of people to just say that this is you know existing for points. But it's important to allow creators to have that freedom if they want to tell a story with a black character that they can. I feel like restricting them in that way to the service. I don't know, and I just, I just really love the art direction and everything about that game, and it means a lot.
1: I love the point you made about you know not like that that you can recognize that character and someone that you know. Like that's when you know a character's good when you can sort of be like hey I know someone like that that's
2: (laughs) yeah yeah I saw that girl in high school hey
0: or I went (laughs) to work with her and like yeah that's really cool yeah no I agree as well it is that because that's what when we talk about representation that's that's what you want because then you feel I'm I'm more included in this thing it's like oh this is someone I I know that's in my my orbit um in in life And they're in a game and I can understand that. I can appreciate that. And I think, yeah, we just like more of that. I also need to play a game. It's on my list. It's a very long list and I'm slow working through it, but it is on my list and I'm (laughs) going to get to it because I'm hearing a lot of uh, good things about it. So my last question, actually, uh, you mentioned mentioned comics, anime, Mm -hmm. manga. Uh, I can't let you leave this interview without asking you what are some of your favorites uh, and what are you reading or watching right now?
2: Ah, uh, okay, so, favorite manga of all time, Beck. I've read that like three times, whole series entirely. Um, like that manga series, I went ahead and read that cut like the entire thing, probably one straight through, at least twice, and I'm probably going to continue doing that for the rest of my life, just like every couple of years, just read the entire thing. One piece, because you know, that's the standard answer. <laughs> Um. I currently have a backlog of like 60 chapters just to go through.
0: Okay, you're reading, not watching.
2: No, nah, reading, reading manga. Manga always, first always for me. Okay, okay. Ironically, that started because our internet connection when I was growing up wasn't the best. It was easier for me to download like current or download an X number of chapters versus why right. you know trying to find streams for content. Yeah. So that that's for me, and then it just stuck with me. I have to pick three best ones i do not sure if I have to pick three best ones I don't know where that idea stuff came into my <laughs> head
0: or just any that, uh, that you enjoy that's cool, good to hear
2: uh, but yeah yeah. so I'm going to go with those two and what I'm currently in terms of watching um, me and my wife have been kind of going through uh, a bunch of backlog of anime and stuff. so we're watching ReZero right now
1: I love ReZero
2: ah, don't spoil those please. <laughs> but we're working our way through that uh, as well as some um, classics like you, you you have a show and stuff
0: like that like it yeah no like I said couldn't let you go without uh, touching on that so <laughs> thanks for uh, thanks for list. some uh, I also need to catch up on I just need to catch up on a bunch of things but uh, that's me so Glenn thank you for joining us for this interview and letting us know how things uh, are going with you on your side of the world in regard to game development and making your own studio.
2: All right. Thanks for having me. Angel am It was great talking to you both.
0: No problem. And if you enjoyed listening to this episode of Story X Story, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. You can also give us a rating and review wherever they let you do that. And this helps us reach new listeners and fans of Story Discussions. I mentioned earlier on that our new manga, speaking of manga, Serious Through the Fog, uh, is coming, is on the way. The story has been been drawn, it's been written, drawn, inked, all that good stuff. I uh, just need to sort out the printing and then it will be in people's hands. So you can see that on our website alongside all our previous manga. And if you are listening and you're going to be at the Thought Bubble convention, then you can uh, get a copy in your hands live in person. You can also join the Gamepad Discord and become a Studio 77 member for exclusive access to gamepad events and content from the Maya universe. Our next gamepad online event is Saturday the 16th of October and it's free so you can get your tickets at gamepad.events. Other than that, stay tuned for more podcast episodes including creator interviews like these, video game discussions and deep dives into stories across pop culture. You can always give us a shout directly. Our email address is feedback at myamada.com. And our website with links to subscribe is mymatter.com forward slash story x story. Until next time, stay safe and we will see you all again.